All right, that's pretty good, them learning that since 6 o'clock last night, all of that. So let's give them a hand. I appreciate it. There's not many people who can get a, a, get a phone call at 6 o'clock Saturday night. and You still have your life to lead, lead right? And uh, say, can you take the service for me? And uh, uh, so thank you, Kevin and group, for uh, filling in for Jonathan. Turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. We'll look at that this morning. <clears throat> Oscar uh, Award winning actor Morgan Freeman. Some of you have probably seen some of his movies. A couple years ago, um, he was hired by National Geographic to do a six-episode series entitled The Story of God with Morgan Freeman. I don't know if, if you saw that, but uh, obviously a very popular actor, comes with a, his reputation on the subject. He traveled to uh, 20 different cities, seven different countries, asking people the question, who is God? Uh, what is evil? What happens when we die? He went to specific religious places like the Jerusalem Wailing Wall or the Egyptian pyramids asking these kind of questions and they created the, the film, The Story of God with Morgan Freeman. A lot of people tune in. A lot of people say, okay, well, that's what it is. That's the story of God. Um, also, a, a few years back, maybe a few, few more, 2012, uh, the Higgs boson made the news. So the smartest physicists or scientists in the world have agreed that they have finally crushed an atom. They have this $10 billion scientific equipment in Switzerland that can literally crush an atom. And it's supposed to explode and create particles. And if you can get that particle, you th well, that must be what happened 13.7 billion years ago in the Big Bang. That there was this huge explosion atoms must have divided split crushed somehow and a particle came out of all of that big bang that put all the other particles together and dr higgs said that's the god particle and so one particle comes out of all the other billions and trillions of particles that forms galaxies and planets and stars and I think about the millions we spend on those experiments year after year so you've got the millions from the entertainment industry to the billions from the smartest scientists or physicists telling us the story of God and as I think about the illustration of that I think why not just go to God and ask Him? Why not just go directly to God? Why, why do we have men and women talking to men and women and doing all these experiments when God reveals who He is clearly to us? So I want us to think about, as we think about the awesome attributes of God, one of His attributes, often obviously neglected, is that He is a revealer. He's a revelator. He delights in telling us who he is and what he desires. He didn't just create all without wanting to inform us of that. Psalm 19 is the go-to psalm for God's revelation of himself because he gives us here both general revelation and special revelation general meaning all of that that comes to us through the world God's general revelation of himself I call it God's world book because I have a set of those anybody still have 
I don't know why I have them. I should just throw them in the trash. I never use them. I always Google it. But anyway, I still have a set of world book encyclopedias. God's world book, he reveals to himself to us through the world. And then God also gives us not just general revelation, but special revelation. And that's the revelation that comes to us through his word. The word book. So he has a wordless book, and then he has a wordful book of revelation for you and I. We're not in the dark because our God reveals himself to us. Let's look, first of all, at the world book. God's general revelation to us, Psalm 19, the first six verses. It says, the heavens are telling. See, they, re- they reveal. The heavens reveal the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. That's what I mean by it's, it's wordless. God speaks, but he doesn't use words. He's using the heavens. He's using the expanse. He's using day to day. He's using night to night to communicate. The voice is not heard, but he's communicating. Verse 4, the line has gone out through all the earth and the utterances to the end of the world. God is there and he's not silent. He is speaking through the world. Um, and he says in verse 4, in, in them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. Interesting illustration for me there is uh, it's, it's like the bridegroom coming out of his chamber. I usually stand here, you know, in a wedding service and the bride's coming down. And as soon as the bride goes through those doors, Everybody stands up, looks back, and we focus on the bride. And, of course, she's a beaming, glowing bride. But here, Psalm 19, they focus on the bridegroom. I I don't know how they did their service. Sometimes we have the bridegroom coming over there or sometimes out of here. So, So let's imagine he's back here in this back room, and he comes out, and we have a spotlight or you don't even need the spotlight because the picture you have of him here is it's like he's, he's grinning from ear to ear. Like the sun, the, the, the light can't be hid. He's just, he's a glow. He's so excited that his bride is coming to him. He said, you can't miss it. He's, he's warm. He's hot. He's, he's glowing with excitement. What does that tell you? God says, that's, that's the way I've created the world. And I've created the world that way to communicate something to everyone so that people don't miss it. What is it? He says, I'm telling of the glory, verse 1, of God. I'm telling of God's works. He is the creator. He's explaining all of that to us. Um, and he gives us this illustration of the bridegroom, which is an illustration of the speech of day to day and night to night, the light like the sun. The sun's in a tent, and then it burst out of that tent. We, we live, you know, in the promised land. We've got all the glories of, of God here. You can go to a mountaintop today. You can go to the beach today. And if you go to a mountaintop, some people can't see mountains where they live. Some people can't see beaches where they live. You know, it's just glorious being where we are. When you go to the mountaintop or you go to the beach, what do you always see? You see people transfixed on either the sunrise or the sunset, depending on which beach or mountain you're on, you know. And it's just, I love it myself when I go to the beach. I love seeing because we're on the East Coast, I love seeing the sunrise. But I've also gone to the West Coast and seen the sunset. You can go to the mountaintop and see them both. You just get transfixed on it. And God says, do you not get that? What is, what is God's 
sharing with us. We sometimes don't comprehend it, but he says it's telling a story. We, we see the sun from as far as we can see to one side to as far as we can see to the other side, rising or setting. And as we, we look at that and the different rays of light bouncing off clouds and sky and different colors, and we're just have a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a sense of the immensity of the glory and the power and the greatness of whoever it is that's behind all of this. It's like, whoa. God says, and I put it there to communicate that there's more than a particle there is this great and awesome and holy and glorious God who sustains this earth day after day and night after night, creating order amidst all that surrounds us and demonstrating that to us. Now go with me to Romans 1, and we see what he thinks we should get from this. So look at Romans 1. Beginning at verse 18. Beginning Romans 1, 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed. Remember, he's a revelator. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So stop and think about that. He says, I have revealed it. Some people don't admit it. They suppress it because of their own rebellion and unrighteousness. But it's revealed. It's no doubt about that. Can't miss it. Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. How? Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. World book. Being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. What's God saying? Imagine a sunrise. Imagine a sunset, and it goes forth from day to day, from night to night, from one end to the other. The line has gone out. The sun comes out of its tent, and you can't miss it, and you're transfixed by it at times, and you're in awe of it, and you know there is someone bigger and greater than you in that moment. And you should bow down and worship God for his glory and his divine power and his greatness, his invisible attributes. They are clearly on display in front of you. But instead of bowing down and worship, you rebel. I'm not going there. You suppress the truth that transfixes you. And you start creating ideas of particles by talking to people. And you invent other things to worship. Instead of worshiping the creator that's on display in front of you. 
God says we should acknowledge Him. Look at creation. For, as, I, as, I, as I look at Psalm 19 telling this story, one thing that's clear to me is that the study of creation is a religious endeavor. We should study creation. We should study all of this world. And we should study it. Why? Because it speaks to us of God. We need scientists. We need historiographers. We need the entertainers. We need the mathematicians. We need the artists. We need all of these things you see in in Psalm 19. We need order day to day, night to night. We need that for our sustenance. And that order is created through mathematical equations. If, if, if your mathematician is not speaking to you about God, they're shortchanging you. If your philosopher doesn't speak to you of God, they're shortchanging you. If your uh, scientist doesn't speak to you of God, they're shortchanging you. Because all of these things that God has created, He has created to speak to us about God. So if anything, it's clear from Psalm 19 is that the world and all of its creation and the study of it is a religious endeavor. Because Romans 1 says, you either submit to God or you suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. And that's a very religious deal. You're either worshiping him or you're worshiping an idol. That's religion. You're either submitting to the revelation or you're in denial of the revelation. Both are religious acts. Well, Psalm 19, 1 through 6, the world book. What does it tell us? I gave you five things that come to my mind. Number one, creation studies are worth our time and money. So if, if that's your thing, to study creation, it's worth our time and money to have you do that. It's worth our time and money to hear from you on those studies. Why? Because they speak to us of God. And that revelation is greatly needed. God is speaking to us. We need schools. We need an education. Second, recognize that you and I are not stuck in ignorance. The fact that God has given us revelation and he tells us the revelation is speaking to us, it's an indication. He says, so I have designed you with the capacity to learn. You're not stuck. I am revealing stuff to you day to day, night to night. You should be a learning person. You're not stuck in ignorance. You might be stuck in suppression of the truth you might be stuck in rebellion you might be stuck in denial of God but we're not stuck as ignorant beings because God has not only designed the world to speak but he's designed us to receive the truth that God wants us to receive number three realize God's creation never ceases to speak it's day to day night to night it never stops he told Noah right after the flood, he says, I'm not going to stop doing this. I'm going to always give you day to day. I'm always going to give you night to night. I'm always going to give you four seasons. He said, this is my plan to constantly be revealing myself to my people. It's a never-ending cycle of speaking to us of the glory of God. So if you're not, if you're not getting God every day, some of you need to go to school to get God, right? Some of you just need to go outdoors to get God because he's revealing himself day to day, night to night in creation. But if, if you're not getting God and God's always on, then you must be tuning him, turning him off. And we do turn him off. Why? Because we want to turn on something else. 
We can't be in tune to everything at the same time. Many times we are tuning God out and we're tuning ourselves, our own pleasures, our own desires in. But ask yourself, you're not seeing God in all that surrounds you. Are you too in tune to yourself and your pleasures that you're missing the glory that the heavens and the earth are day to day and night to night declaring? Number four, notice that we do not have to make our studies Christian to validate them. Psalm 19 doesn't give us a little moral ditty, a little Christian word. It says the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. doesn't need a little moral ditty to go with it. As you, you understand God is creating the world to reveal he is revealing truth. All truth is God's truth. All revelation of God is God's revelation, which is why we can study with non-Christians or with Christians. All truth is God's truth. What you learn in mathematics that's true, it's God's truth. What you learn in biology that's true, it's God's truth. He created it, and it's revealing Him. Now, the non-Christian can't understand it as fully as the Christian because they are in denial of the source of the wisdom and the truth that is being revealed. But it's still true, and it's still there. Recognize we will agree with non-Christians on truth many times because all truth is God's truth doesn't matter whether it comes from a non-Christian or a Christian. If it's been revealed, it's true. But how we use that truth, do we use it to worship and praise God, or do we use it to run from God and to create our own gods that we prefer uh, to worship? On, on many facts, it's the same. That's why we have public schools and private schools or homeschools or the division is here that we're trying to think through. Well, all truth is God's truth. So I, I, can, I can be educated both in the public and in the private sector. I can still learn truth. There's times when I need to learn it, not only as truth, but I need to learn it to worship and in submission of God. And so that leads us to different things. Um, one is designed for our salvation and worship. Others designed sometimes for the exaltation of our own idols. We need to think through all that. But God is declaring his truth to the world, Christian and non-Christian alike. Well, let's go on in Psalm 19. Go to the word book. We've looked at the world book. Now the word book. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now, let me stop here and explain the bunch there. First of all, I made a statement earlier about uh, all truth is God's truth, but the non-Christian just doesn't get it a lot of times. Let me back that up. It's bothering me a little bit. Look, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 2. Uh, beginning... I think it's about verse 13. I'm sorry, it is 1 Corinthians 2. Yep. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. You get that? He says, you can't know God unless God's in you. The Spirit of God needs to be in you, revealing it to you, or you just won't get it. Verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know things freely given to us by God. God gives us stuff. He also gives us His Spirit so we can understand the stuff He's given to us. 
Verse 13, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man, that's the non-Christian, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised, i.e. he doesn't have the Spirit. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord? that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. It's a very simple analogy. Do you know what I'm thinking right now? No, but you'd have, to be, you'd have to climb into my mind to know what I'm thinking right now. It says, do you know what God's thinking right now? You would have to have the mind of God to know what God's thinking right now. It says, oh, good news, I'm putting the Holy Spirit in you to give you the mind of Christ so that when Christ speaks, the Holy Spirit within you says, listen, that's Christ revealing something to you. And you listen and you understand, you submit to it. Now, when you get back in Psalm 19 and we begin to see it unfold, it says, I've given you the whole world to reveal to you the glory and the greatness and the immensity, the power, the invisible attributes of God. I've given you all of that. Then he turns the focus on, not only that, I've given you the word, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Law here is used in a more general sense as testimony, right after that is uh, a parallelism. Uh, laws in the general, in other words, not just a legislative sense. He's not just talking about a command, but he's talking about the word of the Lord is perfect. And by the way, the word Lord there. Uh, in your uh, English Bibles, you'll usually see that in all caps, L-O-R-D, all capital letters. Sometimes you see in your English Bible, Lord in lowercase letters, L-O-R-D, lowercase. What's it trying to tell you is two Hebrew words, especially in the Old Testament, that are being drawn upon. The Hebrews, the Masoretes, especially in the second century, did not want to profane the name of, the God, of God, which is the second commandment, uh, I mean, excuse me, the third commandment, the, to not take the name of the Lord's God's name in vain. And so whenever they came to the personal name of God, instead of using it, we don't even know because they didn't use it for 4,000 years, instead of using it, they just said, Lord, because they didn't want to Say the name of God with disrespect. The Hebrew consonants for that name are in the Bible, which is what gives us the, the, the idea. We think the name, personal name of God, is Yahweh. Because those pers- the consonants, Y, W, H, it, are, are there in the Hebrew Bible. And so we think that's what it is. That's what's here in Psalm 19. And, and that, that, that means that this is not just a general statement by a general God. This is a very personal and intimate statement. Let me read it differently for you. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right. You see, you get a different flavor there altogether. This is, this is a real personal being with a real name, not just a title. In the world book, we had the title God, Elohim. He's, he's, that's, that's a title for God. And instead of using another title, when we get to, to Lord, he's using a very personal name. He says, I've given you my general creation I want to give you my personal words, the words of Yahweh. And I want you to have Yahweh's words. And when you have Yahweh's words, you will find they're perfect. And the word perfect here means complete. You you have sufficiency. You have it all, all that you need. It's, It's not lacking. It's completely before you. So that you have, as it speaks, second, a sure word. You don't have to have any doubts. Am I missing something that really matters? And God says, no, you're not. I've given you a complete revelation to understand the general revelation. I've given you a complete word revelation to understand that in the Bible, in my law, 
in the words I speak to you. So that the testimony of the Lord can make wise the simple. Again, we have this capacity to get what we need to get from the Word of God, from the world of God, if we will just immerse ourselves in the study. He says it's, 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 it's the revelations intended to educate and grow you up. Um, the world is given to lead us to worship. The law is given, the word is given to specifically show us how to obey and keep God's commands, meet his desires. Um, all the words before us is, is, is expressed. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So you see, God says, I, I, I want to give you the right path. I don't ever want to lead you astray. I want to enlighten you. I want to show you holiness and purity before you. I hope you're beginning to see this psalm is developing. It's, it's going to crescendo at the last book. I mean, last verse. But he's saying, I've given you all of the world. And after, after you see all the world, I want you to see it like the, big, the, the top part of the funnel. And it starts funneling down. And all of this knowledge is to be filtered through the Word. And the Word will give you insight. It will inform you. You may be simple-minded and you start to grow. Your mind expands and it grows and it grows because you have a complete and sure word that directs you with all the revelation that God is giving to us. Um, whoever gets it follows. Is it the fear, verse 9, the fear of the Lord's clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, righteous, all together. You, you get this picture. God says, I want you clean. I want you pure. I want you righteous. I want you holy. I want you right. I want you rejoicing in your heart. And you do rejoice when there's victory, when you get it right, when you understand and you're there's no doubts, and you're, you're not shifting. The man who builds his house on the rock in the storm, right? He says, that's a place of rejoicing when you weather the storms, but if you're on that shifting sand, you don't have a sure word, you don't have clear direction, you don't really know what's supposed to, to go on. Miserable. But God is saying, I'm revealing the word to you to make life so much better. Uh, it reminds me of um, Romans 10. So quickly run out of time, I'm sorry. But Romans 10 talks about no one who's ever believed in Christ has ever been disappointed. We never have anybody come back from heaven and say, hey, that's a disappointment, you don't want to go there. Doesn't happen. No one who truly believes in Christ ever gives a testimony. I trusted Christ with all my heart, all my life. I worshipped him week after week, and it was really a disappointment. You never hear that testimony. Romans 10 says you're not going to hear that testimony because Christ doesn't disappoint. And he says faith comes, Romans 10 also says right after that, faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. He says I've given you the word to lead you to faith, to believe in Christ, and that opens up everything. It explains the world book. It explains the reasons for it. You begin to worship, you begin to fear, you begin to get excited about being right and righteous. Verse 10, they're more desirable, these words of God, they're more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. He's pick two things. Uh, do you like gold? Would you like to have lots and lots and lots and lots of it? He says... If you had a choice between that or the word, to pick the word every time. Because it's so much, so much better than all the gold you could imagine. And would you want something really sweet? Pick honey. Over the word? No. Pick the word every time. It's so much sweeter in that it's fruitful. And just as the world 
does something for us day to day and night to night. The Word does the same. Day to day and night to night, it, it enriches. It's so sweet. It's, it's so enduring. It never changes. It's never with error. It's always perfect and complete. Verse 11, Moreover, by them your servants warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. I mean, I know exactly where I'm going in life because of the Word. I'm warned what's wrong with the path to the right and to the left. And it's so comforting to know what happens when you die and whose you are and where that leads us. That we don't need to go somewhere else to find out these answers. Uh, So we're warned, we're kept, there's great reward. Well, let me stop there, those verses 7 through uh, 11. What are they telling us? Um, one thing it's telling us is all Scripture is profitable. Number one, I said we should not neglect God's Word, whatever it takes, abide in God's Word. Sure, you prove yourself to be disciples by abiding in God's Word. Jesus said that in John 8, verse 31. Because that shows you got the Spirit and you want to listen, you want to hear. But it does so much more for that, us than that. It profits us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. P-R-O-F-I-T. Profit. It's of advantage. It makes us rich. It says it corrects us. It um, admonishes us. It trains us. It teaches us in everything so that we are thoroughly furnished for every good work. That's the revelation of God. It's going to always bless us. So if you don't have a regular Bible reading plan, everyone in this room, if you can read, if you can't read, first order of business, learn to read. And that's why we teach kids to learn. The goal in teaching you to learn and to explore is so that you can get into God's world And then you can get into God's word and you can hear that we have a revelator. We have a God that is revealing to us every day and night. So if you don't have a Bible reading plan, get one. There's lots of good ones. We got them on the wall out there, that free wall. Everything on the wall is free. Pick it up and take it. We got Bible reading plans there. Your YouVersion app has several Bible reading plans on it. Just hit your phone. It will remind you. It will wake you up in the morning, says the scripture reading for today. It'll even read it to you. There's no excuse for not having a good Bible reading plan. You can read a small part every day. You can read a large part every day. You can read all the way through the Bible in a year. You can read all the way through in 10 years. doesn't matter to me. What matters is that you're every day in the Word of God. Why? Because God is speaking. I don't ever want to go into life without hearing from God. Psalm 19 is saying one thing. It's saying that. You have a God who cares enough to speak? Listen. By all means, listen. Get into His Word. Meditate on it. Say, God, what are you saying to your servant? Your servant is here and your servant is listening. Every day as I read the Bible, I don't read it for knowledge for you guys, just something to share. I read it because I love God and I said, God, speak to me. Let us have fellowship together. Speak to me so that I love you more and I follow you more deeply. Let God speak. Get that plan. Don't neglect it. Number two, we should not neglect church. Why? What, why did God design the church, the Sabbath day, the first day of the week, to direct us on everything else we do in the world? So let's start with me. Seek first the king, the kingdom, his righteousness, and then go off into the world. And he's designed the church for us to get revelation. You know, 
some passages real quick. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, 18, 19, 20. Don't for, we sometimes forget verse 20, the last verse of Matthew. Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 28. So you go into all the world, you make disciples, you baptize them, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What does God want if he's, if he's writing this to the apostles or if he's writing it to the disciples, uh, if he's writing it to the elders? He's clearly talking to leaders of the church at this point. He says, leaders, your job is to be teaching them and you're supposed to be teaching them everything, not just some things, everything whatsoever I've commanded. What does that imply? It, it implies that everyone else is to be learning everything God wants taught, all of his commands. So if, if we have a church, it must be a church that's a teaching church. We must be teaching everything whatsoever God commands. You know, when I first understood that, I said, you know, woe is me, God. I don't even know the commands. How can I teach the commands? So it, it, it was the order of business for me. I had to go memorize the commands and learn the commands. I had to go start reading the Word to teach the Word. Again, Romans 10 says, how can they hear without a preacher or teacher? I must be teaching and I must be teaching you everything. Can you possibly? I mean, that's, that's a child just realizing, i got to sit through him every week. He's going to teach me? Oh, man. Yes. Yes, you must. There's a lot to learn. And we must learn it. We must come hungry. I mean, how could you hear such a glorious artist as God in creating the sunrise and sunset. How could you see that and not want to hear him speak to you and talk with you when you just get a glimpse of his glory and his immensity? And God says, I want you to hear me. I want you to know my commands because they're going to lead you into purity, into righteousness. They're going to warn you. They're going to keep you from going astray. They're going to complete you. You're going to be wonderfully excited and rejoicing in heart as a result of it. Let me give you another passage. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Just thinking about the church, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. says, again, to the preacher, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience, and instruction. Why do you need patience as a preacher? Because sometimes people don't want to hear you. They don't want to listen. I say, hold up. You know, we need to talk. No, no, no. I don't want to talk. I don't want to listen. He says, sometimes preaching and teaching is not seasonable. That's why you wake up every, not all of you, but some of you wake up on Sunday morning and says, I don't feel like church today. What you're saying is, my body doesn't feel like it's seasonable. It's not in season for me. I just don't feel it. And God says, you're going to have people like that. You're going to have people that are reluctant to listen. He says, preach anyway. Teach anyway. In season, out of season. Whether you feel like it or whether you don't feel like it. Why? Because God is speaking. I want my children to hear my voice. It's implied that God wants to reveal stuff to us through the preaching and teaching of the Word. He's designed the whole Sabbath day, one day out of seven, for that specific purpose. To re be a revealer to us and have us be worshipers of Him. Um, Colossians 3, let me give one more passage, and I'll, I'll stop with this theme. Colossians 3, verse 16. Colossians 3. I'm not, stop, I'm not stopping with Psalm 19. Hold on. But I do want to expound this just a little bit further. Colossians 3, verse 16. 
says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, and with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So you as the church are supposed to come to church, and I'm supposed to preach, I'm supposed to teach in season and out of season, and then you're supposed to be so receiving the word, you receive it, and it dwells, starts dwelling in you, and you should get a rich supply of it. And you start getting more and more of the word that you start speaking it to who? To one another, which implies we all need to hear it even more. Now we all become preachers and teachers of it. And we speak it by singing it to one another. It becomes a musical. You speak psalms and hymns to one another. So you're not just singing them to God when you come in, but you're encouraging one another with your voices of worship to God. And the reason you worship God is because you're receiving His Word. And you're, you're getting more and more every week a sense of His glory and His greatness. And you share that with one another. Hope you begin to see the heart of God for communicating to you. In a very personal way, this is Yahweh's word to you. He said, I want you to get it. I've, I've called certain men to give it. Whether they feel like it or not, they must give it. And whether you feel like it or not, you must receive it. And then you must learn to use it and store it up for greater and greater use. Well, God's given us the world. He's given us the word for those reasons. Back in Psalm 19, he ends up with verses 12, 13, and 14. He says, Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Keep me back. Also, keep back your servant for presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Let them, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We sometimes remember verse 14 as a little ditty, maybe. And we don't see this dump truck load of revelation pouring out into that verse. And I want us to see... He says, I've given you the world. I've given you my word. And if you get that, if you get God's world and his word, and you're like me, you say, woe is me. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve such insider information. And so, verse 12, he says, who discerns what's going on here? God, if, if I get what's going on, you need, to, you need to deal with my sin. Acquit me. I've got hidden sin nobody knows about, and, and it needs to get out of me. It needs to be gone. And I have sins that I kind of presume it's okay to do, and I do them. And that needs to go, too, because... You're a holy, righteous, pure God. Deal with my sin. And he keeps going, verse 13. Um, he says, let him not rule over me. Why? Because I have a ruler. It's Christ. He's my ruler. That's what needs to rule. He's given me his world. He's given me his word. Let it rule. So I need to be blameless. I need to be acquitted of great transgression. He says, so the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart needs to be acceptable in your sight. I mean, that's taking sin to the deepest level. He says, God, I'm not just asking for forgiveness. I'm not just asking you to, to blot out my transgressions and, and let me just sit here. He said, no, I'm asking you to to so work in my heart, my life, get to my desires, get to my passions. I'm not asking for forgiveness because 
just forgiveness because I know I am a deep sinner inwardly. I think bad thoughts. Lord, deal with those. He, he, I hope you begin to see. He said, I'm not asking for to just personally clean up my life. I'm asking for righteousness to be declared over me. He's wanting Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's not just asking for forgiveness. He's asking for total mercy. I need to be thoroughly washed and cleansed. And that can't happen unless there is a redeemer. So let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, somehow be united to my rock and my redeemer. Because what I have begun to see is I have all of the world before me. I have every word from you before me. And as I filter it all together, if there is no Jesus, I have nothing. I'm still a sinner. I need total forgiveness. Who discerns their errors? Who discerns it to the degree that they say, I need a rock. I need a redeemer. Without Christ, I am nothing. That's where he takes us. Let's pray together. Father, what a revelator you are. There's no shortage of revelation. We have what we need. So first of all, we come and say, forgive us for so infrequently repenting. Let us turn from who we are, sinners, and turn from who we need to be redeemed in Christ. Father, have mercy upon us. Cleanse us totally. Wash us thoroughly. Make us holy and pure and complete as your word seeks to do its work upon us. Father, we have great need, but we have a great God. We praise you for all you say, all you do. Help us to learn to sit at your feet day to day and night to night.